But we're going to talk about offering, offering your time and what does that, what does that mean? And uh, if, you, if you read this and if you guys talked about this last week um, as well, then I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a little more depth. I'm going to give you some stats, and I hope that this is uh, actually going to probably kind of wake you up a little bit. How do you view time? Is it your time or is it God's time? How do you view time? When you surrendered your life to Christ, what level of ownership did you feel you were maintaining? That's an important question because if you view it as your time and then you're going to give God some of that time, then you're still viewing it as that when you came to Christ, you gave him your life, but you didn't give him your time. I think we have this salvation thing backwards because we kind of have it where we believe that, well, I go and God gives me something, and then I work on letting him have some stuff. I go and he gives me immediate salvation, and he secures my eternity, but then then I get to kind of hang out, and if I want to let him have my life as we go, if I want to let him have some of my time, because you think about it, we talk about this as if we expect that it's going to be the case. Now, I, I tell people all the time when it comes to work things or other stuff, say so you need to speak about things in a way that, that says this is where we're going to go. As in, are we ever going to achieve perfection? Not, not in this life. But if we're going to say, well, my goal is to just be about 90% good, then we'll be okay with certain things falling in that 10%, right? But if we say my goal is to be like Christ and to live a life that's holy before God, then we will always be striving toward and say, you know what? If I see things in my life that shouldn't be there, then I will recognize that and I won't go, well, it's okay because I've got grace and I'm good, you know, I'm... You are good from a salvation standpoint, but are we good from a representing God standpoint? Are we good from a, this is something that God wants to change in my life? We don't want to accept it. doesn't mean that we have to get down in the dumps about it or that we have to get off track about it, but we do have to be willing to say, this is something that needs to change. Time is an important part of that. I wonder if we didn't feel that we were surrendering our resources, were, were, were we really feeling that we were surrendering our resources, including time, for God's use and direction? Or did we just say, well, you know what, I'm going to wait, and if God leads me, then I'll spend some of my time on something for God. When you get up every day, do you think about all the stuff that you have to do, or do you think about what is God having me do today? And you go, wait a minute, i got to go to work and all that stuff. Yeah, God knows that. Is your spiritual life separated from your work life? Is it separated from your marriage? Is it separated from your home? Is it, is it just that spiritual life is when you're praying or when you're reading the Word or when you're at church? Because that shouldn't be the case. We don't live two separate lives. When we get up and we go to work, God is sending you to work that day. That's why Christians ought to be the best uh, associates out there. That's why Christians ought to show up at work. That's why Christians ought to be on time. That's why Christians shouldn't steal time away from extra long breaks and all that kind of stuff because you are doing that as unto the Lord. Work as unto the Lord. Amen. Now, here's the harder part. So when you're talking to your spouse, 
You ought to be doing everything is unto the Lord. Oh, uh, I'd pull my pants up on that one. When you're talking to your friends, when you're talking to people at the store, when you are in a place of business and you are talking to them, you are representing Christ because you're supposed to have surrendered everything, including your mouth, your thoughts, your time, your money, not to the church. You didn't surrender that to the church. You surrendered that to Christ, who is the head of the church. Well, ultimately, how we view the ownership of our time defines how we treat our time. And I want to show you some stuff. I want to show you two different um, slides, two different graphics that are going to... Man, I, I just thought this was powerful. I want to show you this first one. It says, this is your life. Get over here where I can look at this one. Your life, on average, this was done, I think, around 2017. This was not even a, this isn't a secular thing. It's just math. I mean, it's just data. This is just study. Average person lives about 79 years. That's 28,835 days. The one activity you spend most of your life doing is sleep. But how does that, it says, how does it compare to work, socializing, and laughing? The average human spends roughly 79 years, 28,335 days on earth, and each bead in that jar represents one year. That's all the beads of your life if you live to be 79 years old, the average age. Some of us, we've already used half of those or more. So we're going to talk about some of these numbers. You think about this, if you were to take and you were to put 28,835 beads in a jar sitting beside your bed. And every day that passed, you took one of those beads out and threw it away. And you had started that when you were born. Somebody would have to do it, obviously, for you when you were young. But... And now you recognize that the jar is now half empty. Or the jar is three-quarters of the way empty. Would it change how you thought about every one of those beads, every moment, every day that you gave up for something. I want to break down these, the numbers for you. This is your jar if it's unpacked. Now, this makes it almost even worse because then you see the amount of time you spend in bed <laughs> and then the amount of time you spend at work. And check out number three, screen time. It's just average. I want to give you some numbers. So the average life, 79 years, 28,835 days. You spend 26 years in bed sleeping. The equivalent of 26 years of your life is going to be spent sleeping. Seven years will be spent trying to fall asleep. In a 79-year lifetime, you will spend the equivalent of seven years of time trying to to fall asleep. You will spend the equivalent. Now, this is, this is not saying you went to work five days a week. This is saying if you work X number of hours, that when you, if you added all those hours up, it would come out to this many years, okay? Make sure everybody's following that. You'll spend 13 years and two months working. The average person will spend 11 years and four months of screen time. Television, phones, iPads, some type of screen. You will spend four years and six months eating. 
but you will only spend three years, one month, and three weeks on holiday or vacation. You'll spend one year and four months exercising, which is six times longer than watching TV. You spend six times longer watching TV and two times longer on social media than you will exercising. Six times longer watching TV than you will exercising. Now, keep all of y'all up out of the ditch on this one. You'll spend one year and 30 days doing romance. Now, that doesn't include just the thing that popped in your head. That includes going on dates. That includes sending romantic notes or whatever. Some of y'all, you ain't going to spend but about 30 minutes in your lifetime sending some romantic notes, but that's another thing that your wife wish you'd fix. Anyway, whoever paid me to say that can give me the money later. Think about that. You're going to spend more time exercising than you are being romantic. You're going to spend only, you're going to spend over 10 times as much time watching a screen as you are looking into that one that you love's eyes. You're going to spend one year and three days socializing. You're going to spend the equivalent of 334 days in school. 235 days queuing or waiting, waiting in line somewhere, waiting for something where you're there and that's what you're doing is waiting. 235 days. You're only going to spend 115 days laughing. Now here's one that you're all going to completely understand. Getting ready. Women are going to spend 136 days in their life. Men, 46. <laughs> well, one-third. Just about one-third. Now, you catch those numbers. I'm going, to, I'm going to hit them real fast again because then I'm going to give you what's left. 26 years in bed, 7 years trying to fall asleep in bed, 13 years and 2 months working, 11 years and 4 months of screen time, 4 years and 6 months eating, 3 years, 1 month, and 3 weeks on holiday or vacation, 1 year, 4 months exercising, 1 year and 30 days being romantic, 1 year and 3 days socializing, 334 days in school, 235 days waiting, 115 days laughing, Women are going to spend 136 days getting ready. Men are going to spend 46 days, and then they're going to spend the other 80 waiting. That's going to go into their queuing. What's left? Eight years and two months. 2,997 days that you get to spend doing something that doesn't fall into those. And you notice there is nothing in that survey that included stuff like doing Social work, doing community service, going to church, serving God, any of that kind of stuff. So in your lifetime of 79 years, you're going to have the equivalent of eight years and two months to do something other than those things if you do what the average is. So when we start talking about offering time... It's, it's pretty important because you're 80 years old and you're going to spend one-tenth of your life actually doing something that's other than those normal things there. Only one-tenth of your life, if you're the average 
person can be spent doing something that's outside of those things. So in your 80 years, you could figure that up. You could figure out, well, how many days a year is that? How many months in a year is that? You could do all of that and figure that out in 80 years. One of the most important aspects of giving our time to God is how we use that time. Haggai chapter 1 verses 2 through 11 says this. The Lord of hosts says this. These people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of hosts says this. Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes that never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills. Bring down lumber and build the house. Then I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, olive oil, and whatever the ground yields on man and beast and on all that your hands produce. Now that's pretty powerful. That's pretty strong statement and their own desires while they were allowing God's blessings had been withheld from the people because they chose to gratify themselves and their own desires while they were allowing God's work to be undone. It's just what's there. And don't get hung up about this being about God's house alone at that point in time. Realize that this was a direct comparison of the people going about their own work instead of being focused on welcoming and encouraging God's presence in their midst. God's house was the place where they went to meet him in that Old Testament. That's why we always need to keep, we don't just need to dismiss the Old Testament because we're under grace. Uh, we just need to do what the Bible says, which is rightly divide. But it doesn't mean we do away with, we understand what was it showing us. And, and what this passage even shows us is they went to God's house in order to meet with God, in order to encounter his presence, in order to worship him, do all this stuff. And so God is saying you're more concerned about building your house and doing your stuff than you are about being in my presence. You're more concerned about building your things and building your career and doing all this stuff than you are about coming into my presence, about giving me worship, about giving me honor and giving me glory. You're, you're more focused on meeting with other people and socializing and all this stuff than you are in meeting with me. And the Bible talks about, and I know a lot of people struggle with this, the Bible talks about that God is a jealous God. And see, we struggle with it because we evaluate jealousy in the negative sense of how we view it, that it's something ugly, that it's something that's unwarranted, that it's something that is uh, an indication of a darkness in your heart. But for God, He is worthy of our praise. 
He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of those things. And so he guards that and says, I'm not okay with giving you salvation while you want to go worship everything else. Because I'm worthy of this. Not because he has an exalted opinion, but because he is holy. Because he is God. Because he is perfect. Because he has extended his love and his grace and his mercy to us. And therefore he is jealous, but it is righteous jealousy because it is I deserve this and I want this relationship with you and I'm not okay. I've told you guys before that I equate this to there is nothing wrong with that if you are married to someone that you do not want them have an intimate relationship with somebody else. Because you have a committed relationship and therefore jealousy in that matter in protecting that is righteous. Now you can get wrong in how you go about some stuff with it, but but it is an indication that your great love for someone says, we've made this commitment and I'm not okay with you going and sharing this personal thing that you and I only are supposed to have with other people. That's why the Bible talks about, if you make the connection, the Bible talks about Christ being the bridegroom and the church being the bride and he's coming back for one that's without spot and wrinkle and blemish. God is not coming back for a church that's sleeping around. And honestly, if we're not careful, we'll end up where these folks were, where they were going about doing their own work, doing their own thing, but in their own house, building their own career, building their own life. And, and every now and then, I guess, they'd do something for God. But they weren't focused on really trying to get in God's presence. And that's the biggest concern that I have, and that I have as a pastor, is that we don't get complacent where that every week we come in, we're, just, we're here to do our thing. We're here, we're going to sing some songs. And Dennis is going to get up and tell you that, that he's the greeting guy. And we're going to just do it. And then after that, we're going to do And the kids are going to go. And we're going to, my goodness, we are here to meet with God. And if God changes some of those things, and if God affects that, and in fact, I ask for God to do that. For God to be present and for God to interrupt what we are doing so that we can be a part of what he is doing. If we're not careful, our faith community today can get into that because people get focused on what are all the activities that are being offered to appease your family, to engage your kids, to let them maybe just let you enjoy some level of fellowship. When in reality, for a lot of people, what's in their heart when they're seeking those things is they're just looking for a social outlet. And sometimes if we're not careful, churches can get to where we're just doing things and it sounds good and it's not that we have a wrong motive, it's just we don't always have the absolute best motive. Sometimes it is just to create a social outlet or just for us to feel good about having done something when it needs to be so that we feel God about having done something. If we can go out, or if churches can go out, if groups of people that say they're gathering together as believers can go out and all you're doing is appeasing yourselves and you have a little moment of prayer and you have a, a little five-minute devotional and you go, oh, look, see, we made this thing a holy event. No, you didn't. Let's just, come on, I mean, let's just talk turkey today. Let's just, let's just talk turkey. We will sometimes try to throw a Christian sticker on something in order to make it look like it's something godly. 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you doing stuff that you don't not turn it into a church service. But we need to make sure that we have focused more of our attention and our time on getting into God's presence and being in God's presence with other people. Because I can tell you, if you would look around and talk to people even in this church today, if you would talk to folks, you would find out there's a lot of stuff going on in people's lives. There's stuff where people need God to show up and do some things. And God has done some things this week. But you need to be engaged enough where it's not just a social moment and just having some food and doing something. When we come together tonight, it needs to be a far, far less about eating some wings and eating some chips and all of that and then not really participating or wanting to engage in, in what's there. Guys, we are coming together to be in God's presence even when we are studying the Word and talking about what's going on. We need to come in with an attitude and a focus that says, God, I'm not just doing my thing and going to show up in your house, your place where I meet you. My spiritual life, my prayer time, my Bible reading time is in shambles, really. I just keep it enough where we don't get rained on, really, by comparison. But instead, it should be something that is built up and glorified in my life because God deserves that. That's not an issue of saying, oh, shame on you because you don't do this. God's going to take care of that part. I'm not here to, I'm not here to throw that and, and myself do that. But here's what I am going to say. If you sat and you had a friend who never spent time with his wife, ever, or it was just really... Really, it was pretty token time that he spent. And in fact, you knew and she knew, and some of y'all do know, that the only time that you do get a little bit romantic is because you got one thing on your mind. Now, we just, I've told you, we're talking turkey today about, about committing time stuff. You, you, you all snuggling up because you got something on your mind. Not because you just want to show love. Not because you just decided to buy her flowers. Not because you just decided to tell him how much you appreciate him going to work every day. It's because you got something on your mind. You don't get any amens on this stuff. But you know it happens. You all busy until that thought gets in your head. We're that way with God. We would look at each other if we were good friends and we saw that happening. We would look at one another and we would say, hey, man, you need to take better care of your wife. Hey, you need, to, you need to be more encouraging. Hey, you need to spend some time with your wife. You need to spend some time with your wife when you're not just trying to get something. Hey, you need to be more positive. Hey, and ladies could do the same thing. They'd be saying to each other, hey, you know what? You need to quit running your husband down all the time when you talk about him. If we would do that, why would we not look at one another? And the Bible says spur one another on to good works. I don't know if you've ever. Now you just hang in here. The Bible, that's a, the Bible uses that. I don't know if you've ever watched somebody ride a horse, but when they, when they spur that joker in the side, it, it kicks into action. <laughs> Woo-woo! Whoop-whoop! Look at his split. <laughs> you can read some stuff in the Bible where it talks about how that you know, words that are spoken by somebody that's, that's your foe, they're, they're pretty hurtful. But those same things spoken by a friend, they can, they can do powerful things in your life. 
We used to sing this song years ago. Hillsong came out, out with it. It was, it was when first time I'd ever heard of Hillsong. They had this song, Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You're taking me from the miry clay. I like that phrase, Jesus, lover of my soul. I know it messes guys up. Because guys are like, whoa, man. We're talking about a dude being lover of my soul. Man, he's some freaky junk right there. I know, that's the, way, that's the way guys are. We struggle with that thing. But you know what? God loves you. Jesus loved you. And he wants to spend time with you. And, he wants to, and so when we start talking about how are we spending our time, and God already gave us an example here where he's telling these folks, hey, you got to quit spending all your time focused on everything else, and you are not meeting with me. When was the last time outside of church, maybe a period for you, that you met with God? When was the last time that you just got into worship with God. I'm going to tell you something that I, I never, um, I didn't, I really didn't understand, and I really didn't understand it maybe until the last month. Um, when we first got married, when Michelle and I first got married, um, the second house we ever lived in, first house we lived in, I've told you guys, that house was so small, I'd have to tell her to be careful when she put the key in the front door because she'd knock the glass out of the back door one time. Okay, that's not true, but... <laughs> I bought her an office chair. She said, I need some cleaning supplies. I bought her an office chair. She's like, what's that for? I said, watch this. I sat in the middle of the house, held my hand out with a rag, spun in a circle, and dusted the whole house. It was a small house, I'm just telling y'all. It just was. <laughs> that was good jokes, y'all. I'm, I'm, y'all. Come on. Come on. That was good. Wayne should appreciate that. Second house we ever lived in, it was before Caleb was born, was the first time we had a house with an extra bedroom. Had one extra bedroom. And I had an office. And I can realize, looking back now, I had a piano in there, and I had a desk and all that stuff. And I realize, looking back, how many times that I met with God because I had somewhere to get alone. And... Now, she can't get along somewhere else, but I had. We recently, after, uh, after Alexis and Michael moved out to, um, out to Oregon, we, uh, we started getting that the back room clean. I was semi-motivated to work on it, all right? Because, I mean, I'd already, you know, done all the most of everything except some trim. But I was semi-motivated to get it cleaned out until Michelle said, you should turn that into a study. It got cleaned out in like two days. It got cleaned out. And I can tell you that, man, I have been having such encounters with God over the last few weeks since that happened. Because, and she, Michelle actually came back there yesterday because, man, I can shut the two doors leading to the, to the kitchen. And because um, after everybody was over there yesterday morning for, uh, for that, at her event, everybody got gone and, and, Man, I, I had the two doors shut, and I had cranked up listening to some music we were going to be doing today. Man, I was just back there, and I was worshiping. I got the guitar out, and I'm back there because nobody's watching. You know, I'm not doing anything for anybody. I'm just back there worshiping and playing, and I'm singing. and Oh, man, it was. I'm telling you, when we make time to get with God, outside of waiting on it to happen in church, 
Because sometimes it's easy to, you know, get, because you, yeah, I'm not saying you guys do. I'm not. But, but it's easy because you know people are watching, and so you can, you can do all the right stuff. But man, when you just get along with God, and it's just you, nobody else is seeing. And you really encounter Him. But how do we manage? How do we manage our time in order to honor God? Exodus chapter 6, they have complete rest. Mm. This. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest. Mm. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. So this is the day before. It says tomorrow's going to be the day of rest. Today you need to do your cooking. And you need to set that stuff aside. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't smell or have any maggots in it. Because remember, they didn't have refrigerators. Just in case you wonder, why has God put that kind of stuff in there? God knew we were going to have some refrigerators at some point. Most stuff doesn't, you know, we don't think about stuff running overnight. But they didn't have refrigerators. So he put that in there. He says, hey, it didn't smell, didn't have any maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. Remember, all right, prior to this in this chapter, what's happened is this is when God is dropping manna out of heaven. And God tells them, says, hey, you're going you're gonna to go gather this. You just gather enough for the day. Here's another reason why he put that in there about it not having maggots on stuff, because if they gathered more than was enough for that day, it would ruin. But... They're going to gather on this day, and it's going to be good for two days. God did this little thing where you gather what we would consider. I know it was a different Sabbath day for, for them, but what we would consider Monday through Friday, they were going to gather, and it would only be good for that day. But on Saturday when they gather, it was going to be good for two days. All right. For six days you may gather, it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Yet on the seventh day, what did some folks do? Some folks went out there, and they were going to gather, but they didn't find any because he didn't let manna come out of heaven that day. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? You catch that. He said, I want you to rest on that day. I want you to gather up what you need this day, and you're not going to find, I'm not going to pour out that blessing on the day of rest because I want you to rest. And I'll be if some folks didn't get up the day of rest and decide they needed to work. They were going to go out there and go get that blessing. And he said, I didn't put it out there. Why are you going to keep ignoring what I've commanded you? Not what I suggested, but what I've commanded you to do. Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Listen to that. That's why elsewhere Jesus was able to, to say to people over in the New Testament, he was saying, the man is not for Sabbath, but the Sabbath is for man. He says, I've given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he'll give you two days worth of bread. Each of you stay where you are. No one's to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. I'll be very transparent about this one. This is an area that God's been convicting me about. God's just been convicting me about this. And through most of my adult life, I have probably had, I have had, not probably, I have had an element of pride about that I could get two or three hours of sleep and do that days in a row and keep going and do my thing. 
When I was young, now it's not as much anymore. But man, when I was in my was I when I was in my twenties and even right in my early thirties, boy, I would be all about that. I could, man, I could I could come home after work on a Friday, stay up all night painting something in the house or whatever, work all day on Saturday, be up late Saturday night, get up, go to church on Sunday, do my thing on Sunday, all that stuff, and whoo, I was good. I've been trying to do a little bit of that. And my right eye is twitching even now. I'm just telling you. It is happening. And for the last few weeks, and I finally told Michelle last night, I said, I realize that I've, I have got to force myself to do so. I've got to get more sleep because I can tell it. I do have enough willpower that I will force my way through things, but I'm seeing things physically that I just don't have the ability to do. I don't have stamina to do, or I'm not sharp enough, or whatever. And God's convicting me of that because it's not honoring Him. That pride that I was having about that I could do this was not pride in God because God said, rest. God didn't say. And when I hear, when I hear people, I read some quotes today because uh, I was looking for some different quotes. I want to throw one more in there this morning and and I just, had, I just had to kick some to the curb because I was reading some quotes out of ministers from, you know, 100 years ago talking about essentially burning out. You know, you just needed to go and go and fight through. And I'm going, no, no. I think that's what's happening to our world right now. We see more people that are experiencing mental health issues and physical issues and stress and all this stuff than ever before in our history. And I think so much of it has to do that we just push and we're so, we have so much stuff coming into our eyes and so much uh, stimulation that's coming from visuals and, and audible and all this stuff that we don't find ourselves. How often are you finding yourself during the week? If you've got people in your house, how often are you finding yourself where you are setting time aside on a regular basis and just getting alone and being with God? If I choose to take on more things than are appropriate in a given week, then that's on me. I'm realizing I need to stop praying and asking God to help me. God, help me get through you know, all this i got to do when I actually chose to take stuff on myself that put me in that situation. If God does that, it's going to just be because he's gracious. It's not because that he owes any of that to me. Because he's already told us to rest. He's told us to use our time wisely. If I need to say no to something that's good but is not God in the moment. You hear that? There's things that you are going to commit yourself to that are good. They're just not God in that moment in your life. Because it's going to overextend you. It's going to stress you. And it's going to make you ineffective at everything that you do. Or not as effective. But you're doing something that's good. It's just not God in that moment. You think about all the things you could be doing. Think about all the stuff you could do for the rest of today. I give you a list of stuff that we could all go do for the rest of today and we would be exhausted and we could do that every day and every night 
all week long and we would be exhausted and we wouldn't be good husbands and we wouldn't be good fathers and we wouldn't be good children. We wouldn't be good workers. We wouldn't be a lot of things that God has called us to be effective in, but we'd be doing a lot of good stuff. Just wouldn't be God stuff in our lives in that moment. A lot of people have a hard time with that. If you need to adjust your lifestyle or your personal desires because you've got to work yourself to the bone in order to achieve what you want to have, then that's a choice. And it's most often not a good choice nor a God choice. God instructed his people to rest. He created healthy people who had energy and vitality to effectively serve God in the kingdom. Let me share a few quotes with you about stress and weariness and when your time's not managed in a godly fashion. I like this one from Charles Stanley. He said, We can be tired, weary, and emotionally distraught, but after spending time alone with God, we find that He injects into our bodies energy, power, and strength. You know where I see that in Scripture? I see that in Scripture when He says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. Now, there's, there's, if you get into that, that waiting is not just you sit down somewhere or whatever. Really, that waiting has to do a lot with serving God. But if you're going to serve God, then you've got to do what He said. And what He said was, I want you to rest. So that then you are effective. Let me share a quote from Corey Tenboom, who, if you know her story, was Jewish and was taken in the concentration camps, and God just did some powerful things um, in her family and herself. And you, you need to read some of her books and listen to her. Just her story is is astounding, pointing to the glory of what God can do even in the midst of all that. She said, "If you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. If you look at God." you will be at rest. Then when we properly manage our time with God's kingdom in mind, then we'll experience blessing. And I want to show you the three passages that talk about this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 37 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now we have often, in the church world, we have often used this passage to talk about how you, ought, you, you should start serving. And that's a good, that's a good application of this. I want you to understand that if you're serving right, if you're managing your time right, it will have you doing the kind of things that Jesus said, when you do this, it's just like you were doing it for me. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. Because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Making the most 
of the time, those eight years that you have, making the most. But not only that, but how are you going to make the most of the time when you spend that 13 years at work? Are people seeing Christ in you? Are people seeing a witness of who he is and what he's doing in your life? I know it's hard because we've got tasks that we have to do. You've got stuff you have to get done. But you know what? If we get ourselves in right alignment with God and understanding that is his time as well, because you know what, oftentimes we pray and we pray and we pray and maybe at some point, if you've been somewhere working for a long time, you prayed at some point and you were asking God to give you some job or give you some opportunity. Now you've been there for 13 years or 20 years. Or you may forget because you hadn't had to pray for God to give you a job in a long time. But you forgot that when you were praying for God to open that up and then you were like, God gave me this job. Well, if God gave you that job, don't you think God wants to be doing something with that job? God didn't just give you that job so you'd have some money. God gave you that job for a reason. God gave you that job for a purpose. God put those people that have been around, come and gone around you over all the years you've been doing it for a reason. It wasn't just to pay your bills. That's part of it. God provided for you through it. But God's not separating your work life from you serving Him. That's His time. You're on their clock, but you're serving a different master. He just happens to say, I want you to go there and work every day. And I want you to represent me while you're there. So quit mouthing off and griping and complaining, talking bad about everybody you work for. Oh, I'm sorry. Because you're working for Jesus. And if he decided to put you in that job, well, anyway. Look, I've been there, and I've done it, and I've done it wrong. That's his time. Doesn't mean that they're not bad. Doesn't mean that you're not in a bad spot. But if you're trusting that God got you there, then I promise you God will get you out if he needs to get you out. Or if God's got to make you wait until the right person comes along and shows you favor then you just hang in there like a hair in a biscuit. <laughs> until it happens. Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but I'll go with you. You're not alone. You just might not want to be re recognizing that God's presence is there. But he said, I'll never leave you. There's no, you don't need to get him to come over. You don't have to get him to show up. He said, I'll never leave you. We just sometimes got our back turned to him everywhere he's trying to. Because where you lead me, I will follow means you put him out in front. And you can always see him. I tell you what, when you start feeling like you can't see God, it's probably because most of the time, and I know I can tell you from my own life, it's most of the time because he's trying to go one direction, I'm looking somewhere else going, where are you, God? And he's going, I'm over here because we're going this way. And I'm over here going, well, I just want to go this way. And he's going, who's leading this deal? Is it me or is it you? Because you're supposed to be my disciple and you're supposed to take up your cross daily and follow me. If we'll follow, then he'll lead. Steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, the word says.
Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, the last scripture says, Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Such a powerful, powerful scripture. I want to tie into something here and just so you recognize in this little part here where he says, so don't get tired of doing good. You go, wait a minute, how does that fit? Well, us talking about not getting tired of doing good, but you're saying we ought to be willing to rest and all this. So wait a minute, am I supposed to like just keep doing good all the time or am I supposed to get some rest? Well, number one, getting that rest is doing good. And as much as you love God and as much as you're trying to serve people, you will become inefficient because you are just worn out. And the people around you that need you and need time, they won't get that from you. And even God won't get it because you're doing the tasks. But you, you are not finding yourself alone with him. And so I couldn't do it. I'm having to say, nope, I can't do this stuff. So when he says don't get tired of doing good, it's not just, well, you need to be doing some activity as, you need to do the things that are good. And in some stuff that God is telling you to do good is get along with him and, and be still and rest and get in his presence. That's good. We tend to talk about how tired we are from all that we do every single week. But if we've truly evaluated our lives, I guarantee you, you, you could find some things this week that you did not have to do. But you spent your energy on it. And as a result... Our energy for serving God was at a much lower level than possible because we spent that energy on other things. And just like the junk that we collect in our homes, in our storage buildings, in boxes that you got stored away, we collect time zappers in our daily and our weekly lives and in our spiritual lives. Can you imagine what people in third world countries must think about Americans who have so much junk that we have to rent places miles from our homes in order to store stuff that we hadn't seen in years and we're probably not going to use in the next 10? We got so much junk that we've got things in our houses that we hadn't seen it in years. You got dishes maybe in your china cabinet that nobody's eaten off of in the last five years. And you'll dust that junk every week, maybe. You got stuff packed away in boxes. And you're saying, oh, I kept all of that because it was from when the kids were young. When's the last time you looked at some of that stuff? Some of y'all, it's been years. Some of you went back and looked, it's all faded, it's gone. It's all, I'm not saying there's something bad about him. But you know what? We just tend to just keep stuff. Our lives get that way. We start doing things and it's just piled up and we got more in our life than we've got time to do. And it's not because God put that on us. It is not because God put that on us when we spend 11 years and four months of screen time in our lifetime. Our time will get consumed. 
We allow so many things to become part of our lives that just like we need more space for things that don't serve useful purposes in our daily lives, then we start going, well, I need more time because of things that aren't serving us and they're not serving God. The last verses in that passage we just read says, therefore, as we have opportunity, you know what's the challenge for most of us? Is it because of the other things that we choose to do when God puts an opportunity in our way for us to truly be able to serve somebody, we can't carve the time out to do it. I wonder sometimes if we don't miss blessings and if we don't miss opportunities to truly be an impact in somebody's lives because we are so busy that we rush right past what God is trying to give us an opportunity to see. Go back to that, that passage where God was telling them, he said, you're doing all this to build your own house and all this, but yet your time with me, that sacred place where you come to meet with me, it's in ruins. And he said, I'm so desirous of that happening, of you meeting with me, of you being in my presence, I'm trying to get your attention. But you're over here thinking that you're going to go work and it's going to yield this, and then it doesn't. In fact, you're going to take money and put it in a bag that's got a hole in it. Take care of your relationship with me, of getting in my presence, of meeting with me. And this other stuff will work out. So let me ask you, what do you need to do in your life today? What do you need to do to improve how you offer your time for God's use? You noticed I haven't talked about how you serve the church. I made a comment to Michelle recently. This one a few times I'm going to reveal a, a pretty strong comment that I've made about church. I said, when you get down to it, I said, right now, we're not asking people at Unity Point to do a whole lot of stuff outside of a Sunday morning service and a Sunday night uh, small group where you get some free food and, and a Wednesday night prayer thing. I said, so people can't be burnt out on serving God out of what church is asking them to do here. I said, so when I hear people say out in the world, or if I hear it here, and people go, oh, I'm just... I just can't really, because I'm just burnt. Well, that's not coming from, that's not coming from church. That's not coming from, from the, the body of Christ here asking you to, to do something that's just tying you up three, four nights a week. You're going to have to evaluate your life. So what are the things that I'm committed to so if God tries to use me in something else, that I am not to a point where I have to say, well, no, I can't, I can't do this thing that God's putting in my way because I have committed myself to something that maybe is good but not God. And you understand it because this is not drawing a comparison in your life. You don't need to go evaluate your life for, oh, I'm doing bad stuff. No, there's a lot of people that are consumed with good things. But it's costing them their marriage. It's costing them their children. 
It's costing them relationships. It's costing them encouragement from other believers because they can't spend time doing it. Or they're so spread out that they're a mile, we used to say they're a mile wide and an inch deep. What do you need to do to improve how you offer your time for God's use?